All right, take your Bible, turn to 1 Kings 17, all right? Hope you're enjoying our study in Elijah. We've got still a little while to go in this study, so keep reading. And uh, everybody get in my text on Saturday so I can keep you abreast on the, the reading before uh, you come to church. Maybe get your mind prepped out. Just, it just helps. You just keep saturating your mind with the scriptures. It just keeps coming alive and growing, and that revelation just grows and grows and grows. I want to talk to you about a very, very important subject in, in, our, in our life journey. Talk to you about the subject of dealing with disappointment. Dealing with disappointment. All right? So we've, we've, we've got a little ways into Elijah's story. And today, tragedy is going to happen. It's going to enter into our story. And, it, you know, tragedy enters into everybody's story, doesn't it? unfortunately, because of the world we live in. So let's go back to the widow's house. Can you join me at the widow's house? Let's pick it up in verse number 17 of 1 Kings 17, and let's read down to verse 24. Everybody ready? Now it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house, this is the widow lady, he became sick, and his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. That's a poetic way to say that he died. Verse 18. So she said to Elijah, what have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? Just some raw emotion there. And he said to her, give me your son. So he took him out of her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him on his own bed. Then he cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord, my God. Have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodge by killing her son? Elijah's got some questions too. And he stretched himself out on the child three times and he cried out to the Lord and said, O Lord, my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. And then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah. I like that statement. The Lord heard the voice of Elijah. I wonder if he hears your voice. And the soul of the child came back to him, and he revived. What a day. Then Elijah took the child and brought, them, brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And then the woman said to Elijah, Now by this I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Everybody say amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for your word. We just pray you'd bless it to our hearing. Lord, bless it as nourishment to our soul. Strengthen us, and may we, as we encounter your word, may our faith strengthen and grow. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's talk a little bit about perspective. It says, now it happened after these things. After these things in this story, it, this, this is just the progression of the story, but I want to go a little bit deeper into that after these things, because after these things, it's kind of a summarization about their life. You know, everybody comes to this part of the story that's in the story, the three people in the story, they come to this part with a different perspective. And everybody handles tragedy differently. Everybody grieves a little bit differently when things happen bad. It depends on your makeup. It depends on your history. Everybody's got a past, right? We've got all these experiences that have happened in our life. Uh, some, some may be our doing, some may be our fault, some may be other things, and, uh, but we just all have a past. We all have a history that when tragedy hits, it filters through a history. We've all got a certain tolerance level of, of the amount of pain, both, both physical pain and emotional pain. We've got a, all got a different tolerance level of what we can take because of our makeup and the way, way our personality is and things like that, our make, emotional makeup. Uh, we've all got a level of faith. It depends on your level of faith how you go through tragedy sometimes. And we're all on this journey. We're all on the same journey, but we're all at different spots in that journey. It depends on your situation. There may be other factors involved. It's not just the circumstances that just happened. Maybe it compounded a whole lot of things and you got all these other factors. And you know what it's like to be just under the gun. It just seems like, oh, Lord, not just something else. So your situation really matters, too. Timing, the timing of it. It could have happened maybe five years ago, we'd have been good, but today, really? You know? So there's many factors that go into this idea of us building a perspective on how we respond and how we handle tragedy. Now, what I want to do is look at these three people that's in the story, and, and I want you to see how they kind of go through the tragedy. We just learn some faith lessons as we go through it. Now, remember that these are not, this is not a movie, 
This is not a cartoon set. This is not just some kind of clip on, on a YouTube video. This, this is a real life story. This happened with real life people going through a real life tragedy and it ain't good. It is not a good story. It ends well, but how many know you got to get to the ending? <laughs> it can be pretty rough getting there, can it? So let's look at the son. Let's look at Elijah. And let's take a few moments and we'll look at the widow. Let's see how the son maybe handled this. We, we don't have a whole lot of information, but we know he's young. Okay, he's young. And, and young in that age, you know, in that day, 12, 13 years old, you would be considered a man at that point. So he's, he's probably maybe uh, 7, 8, 9, 10 years old. We're not sure, but he, he's a young man. He's a young boy. And we'll, we'll just assume that he's a strong young man. And he's hoping for a successful future. He, he, he's, he's thinking about things. He's working with his father in, in the fields and helping his father tend to the animals and do all the things that are happening there on the farm at the house. But, but something happens in his life that, that shouldn't happen in a young boy's life. His father passes away. So we know he's already been through a lot with the loss of his dad because that's, that's a real tragic event in the family, especially in the young child's life. So he's already been through a lot, and, and, and I can see he and his mom kind of consoling each other and helping each other. And from this boy's perspective, I, I, you know how little boys are. I mean, they can be just as rough as a corn cob and just as sweet as honey all in the same breath, can't they? <laughs> and, they and they can break your heart and mend it all in one sentence. They're just, that's just little boys. But I can see this little boy sitting with his mom on the couch, and as his mom is weeping about the loss of her husband, I can see this little boy saying, Mom, I'll take care of you. Can't you see him doing that? It, it, it's going to be okay, Mama. We're, we're going to get there. We, we're going to get through it. And, and I can hear him even saying promises to his mom. I'll take care of you. I, Dad, Daddy's not here, but he taught me some stuff, Mama. I can take care of, I'll take care of the sheep. I'll take care of the, the farm, the grapevine. I, I've got that. Daddy taught me how to do that. I'll, I'll take care of it, Mama, and I'm going to take care of you. I'm just going to be there, and you don't have to worry about anything. I, I can hear his little voice. Something happens to this young man, unforeseen. He gets sick. It's not too unusual for children to catch things and get sick, but his fever won't go away. In fact, it keeps climbing, it keeps spiking, and he gets worse, and, and he's fighting through it. And he, he doesn't want to die, but he, he's struggling, and, and, and he, mom can't get him to eat. And in just in a matter of a few days, all the tables turn on this young man. And he dies. It's tragic. It doesn't work out the way he wanted. He didn't want to die. What kind of young person like this would want to die? It doesn't turn out the way anyone hoped. His mom, Elijah, nobody hoped this. Nobody wanted this. Nobody would, would even in their wildest dreams, two weeks ago, thought this would happen. And you know, it's not right for the young to die. There's a grief, a grief that just covers an entire community when somebody young dies. Because it's just... You know, it's not right when anybody dies. We, you know, we're, we're, we're built for eternity. We're made to live forever. I mean, there's, there's a part of us that, that knows that death is just not really the way it should be. And when somebody young dies like this, it even compounds that grief and that, and that disgust with death. It just compounds. And as you stand over the grave of a young person or you go and read the two, your heart just leaps like, man, that's just awful. You know what I'm talking about? It's just not right for the young to die. It's not right for somebody 99 to die. It's like we buried Miss Evelyn yesterday. Death is an intruder into God's cosmos. That's the young boy's perspective. Elijah. Elijah, he's a rugged man. He's a rugged mountain man from the mountains of Gilead. He's tough. We already know he's not ashamed of God at all. He's strong. He's confronted the king, the king himself. He stood and pointed his finger in the king's face. He's bold. And he gave him the word of the Lord. Elijah's already been to the brook. He's been fed by the ravens. He's been basically eating right out of the hand of God for quite some time. So we know his faith is strong. He believes God. He's seen God. He's, he's building this history with God. He's seen God do some pretty amazing stuff. We also know he's living in Zarephath. Now, see, I'm talking about this. See, all of this story gets filtered through all of this, this history that he's got, this history that this boy's got, the history that the woman's got. 
He's living in Zarephath right underneath the enemy's nose. So he's got to be a very courageous man, ain't no doubt. He's living right there in the enemy's camp, basically. I, I could hear him becoming grateful to this lady. She's taken him in. She's fed him at her table. She's given him the upper room at the house. He's, he's living there. He, he's, he's, he's got it pretty decent underneath her. I can hear him being grateful for her just opening up her heart and her home. And I also hear Elijah, you know what it's like when you stay in somebody's house for a length of time and they got small kids? Either they get on your nerves or you fall in love with them. Or maybe both, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> what do you think? I can hear Elijah being, just interacting with the boy and, and just growing fond of this young man. Loving this young boy. Maybe having a soft spot for him because his father's passed away now. Elijah's now been at her home for quite some time. And his life and his history with God is going to give him a different perspective. It's going to give him a different response than other people. And you heard me say this, the word history. Elijah is building this history with God. We all need to do that. Whether you keep it in a journal or just keep it in your mind, you need to be mindful of your history that you're building with God. The prayers he's answered, the times he's saved you, the things he's done to comfort your soul, the people he sent into your midst, the provision that he's given you, the many blessings. And, and do like that old song, learn to count those blessings because that all starts building the history with God. And one day, beloved, I promise you, you're going to have to lean very heavily on that history because today is not always going to be great. And you're going to have to look on yesterday and build a faith bank, so to speak, and pull that faith right into today. And what happened yesterday with God is going to help you get through today with God and get to your tomorrow with God. It's important. One of Jesus' words that he uses as he talks about our faith is remember. So we're building this history, this life with God. It's going to be very valuable to Elijah. It'll be very valuable to you as well. The widow. Let's get a little idea about her. The widow lady. She was once a happy bride with high hopes for a good future. She was married to a man. We're going to assume she was married to a man who loved her and cared for her. They had a son together. You know what that's like having a new baby come into the world? It's, it's just a good time. You've got great expectations for their life and for the, the life that you're going to share with them. And, and they've got a bright future as a, as a young family of three. But for this widow woman, then things changed. It turned on a dime. I'm not sure if it was an illness. I'm not sure if it was an accident that happened there on the, on the farm. We're not sure what happened, but her husband dies. And now she has to walk by herself, basically, walked through this long, dark valley of widowhood. She's buried her spouse. Some of you know what that feels like. And since that time, especially because of the nature of the culture, the time frames that they're living in, uh, you know, the, the, the woman basically took care of the stuff in the house. The man takes care of the stuff outside of the house a lot of times. You know, the woman still works on the farm and do some, does some things. But, but the man really is the provider for the most part in this culture. So that leaves her. Since he's passed, she's struggled to make it. And now it's just her and her son. And this widow lady has now had to trade all of her dreams in for survival. We're not worried about what's happening five years from now. Honey, it's Monday. We got to get to Tuesday. You know what survival's like? Some of you have been there before, haven't you? Life for this widow lady, at the drop of a hat, got very difficult. Now for her, just following the story, for her, her bad, difficult situation turns worse. It gets worse. I mean, sometimes you wonder how, if it can get worse. Oh yeah, honey, it can get worse. I promise you. A national crisis. She not only has all this personal crisis going on in her home, a national crisis hits and the drought comes and the drought produces a famine. So this year her garden didn't produce. Didn't get any cucumbers. Tomatoes didn't come. No corn. Nothing came from the garden because the, the drought and her cow died. 
Her milk cow, the good milk cow, that's what they drank from. The milk cow died. The few chickens she had couldn't survive the summer heat. They died. And her small grain supply that she's got in the, in the shed out back has gone down to nothing. Do you feel what she's going through? It's not, it's not, it's not good. And then she encounters Elijah. And with one word, her mess turns into a message. With one word, God provides and sustains this woman. And, and the last few months with Elijah in the home and God's blessing upon the home and God's blessing upon this flower and this, this little jar of oil, there's some signs of hope. It's, it's, I hadn't seen much hope in some time. There's some signs of hope now. Maybe, maybe we're going to make it, baby. Maybe God is not against us. You know, all those things we go, that goes through us. Now, things are looking up. Then boom. Her son catches a virus. Some kind of sickness. His fever spikes. Not sure what it was. It just came out of nowhere. Uh, he's young and strong. It's going to pass. He'll be all right. Uh, we'll get him some chicken noodle soup and everything's good, right? Then over a couple days, he gets weaker. He won't eat, even though mom's got the spoon and the bowl, and he won't eat, he won't drink. He gets sicker, he gets sicker. She cries, she nurses him, and she cries out to God, the God that she really doesn't even know. She says, God, no, please, he, he's all I got. Not my boy. In spite of her tears, he gets worse. And then he dies. Now you take that bitter history she's got and you throw this humongous crisis on her. It's probably not going to be good. You know what I'm talking about? Her reaction is very real and it's very raw. She's upset. And I don't have nothing bad to say about her. It's just real. Verse 18. Some text right here. The boy is in her arms. Lifeless. And she says to Elijah, What have I to do with you, old man of God? I mean, she's mad, boy. Have you come here to bring my sin to remembrance? And to kill my son? Been sitting under my roof? And you're going to bring judgment on my house? What? Her response, we can understand it, can't we? Because it comes from this place of pain. It comes from this place of disappointment. This place of tragedy. And, and just look at that text right there. Here's what she, she blames herself. Isn't that one of our tendencies? She blames herself. My, you're bringing my sin to remember. This is because of something I did years ago. You ever had that visitation from those thoughts like that? And she blames the man of God, which is kind of indirectly blaming God as well. You came to judge me and kill my son? Is that what this is all about? Let's talk about this for a second, the blame game. When all these things happen that are unexplained, that you got more questions than you have answers to, there's three responses that... that are, are kind of natural, we may say carnal responses, but they're real responses. We have them. We've probably all done these. You can blame yourself, which is a deep, dark hole that you may not get out of. You can blame yourself, and that just absolutely will lead you into the dark, deep depression, what they may call the dark night of the soul. It'll lead you there. You can blame yourself, and it'll lead you right into self-loathing and self-hatred. And there may be an element of truth that, that some of it, but, but you know what? If you beat yourself up so bad, that's a fight you're not going to win. There's got to be a better option than blaming yourself. Or you can blame others. She does. She lashes out at Elijah. I mean, Elijah was out 
working in the field, getting some things ready for supper tonight, you know, that kind of stuff. Or, or maybe just taking care of the fence that had been broke down. I don't know. He, he was out, and then he comes in, and boom, he gets hit with this blame. But here's where blaming others takes you. It takes you right down that wicked road of bitterness. And it will eat up your soul, shrivel up all of your vitality and strength, kill your mental health, kill all of your relationships, and make you a very lonely person. So you can blame yourself, you can blame others, and probably the worst alternative, but we, we do it from time to time, is to blame God. It's to blame God. I, I think she kind of does that inadvertently. Which, if you blame God, it leads to unbelief, which ultimately will lead to spiritual death. And honey, God is not your problem. He's your solution. And we can't, although it may rise up in us, you, you've got to fight that off. So there's, there's got to be a better option than any of these three. Not, not to don't blame yourself. Don't blame others. Don't blame God. There's got to be a better way to process. And I'm, I'm, I don't, we don't have time to get into the psychology of all that, but every single one of those blame game things, every single one of those has a psychological fallout that will absolutely ruin your life and ruin your relationships. You understand what I'm talking about? Let's look at something that happens here when disappointment comes. I mean, disappointment is real, and there's not a person in here that hasn't had a truckload of it. When disappointment is left in the heart and it's not resolved, it makes your heart sick. See, we, we know what it's like when our bodies get sick. You know, body gets, maybe you get a sickness in your heart or maybe you get a sickness in a virus or something that, that attacks your immune system and you get weak. We know what that's like. We're, we're learning more in this generation now about heart sickness or, or, or mental sickness. Let's say it like that. Emotional sickness. That's a real thing too. You know what I'm talking about? That is a real thing that there ain't a whole lot of pills that'll take care of that. You know, they can medicate and, and help maybe a little bit of therapy and things like that, but they really can't heal the heart with a pill. You can't do it. But disappointment literally makes your heart sick. Proverbs 13, 12, the first part of that verse says this. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Say that with me. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. And it's a tough day when you get a sickness in your soul. It's hard to shake it. So we all deal with this. Pain and loss is common to every single one of us. We all deal with this heart sickness from time to time. Disappointment, sadness, depression, call it whatever, anxiety, call it whatever you want. But we all deal with this deal. This deal of disappointment. And we live in a world that disappoints us on every corner. The world just absolutely does not work right. It does not work according to the law of righteousness and peace and joy that the kingdom worked by. The world that we live in does not work by that. It's broken. The truth is, we're broken. Sin has broken us. It's, it's broken the world we live in, the systems that we all set up. Sin has messed up Everything. I'm not just talking about your particular sin. I'm talking about sin as a general rule and a general law. Sin has absolutely brought a curse that's caused everything to be messed up. From relationships to you, you name it. Everything is messed up because of sin. The fallout is cosmic. And because of that, disappointment reigns on everybody's parade. Some of them more than others. You ever seen somebody that just seemed to get more than their fair share? It just would not stop. Here's the truth about disappointment. Trouble, trials, difficulties, and disappointment will reveal your true level of faith. We've all got church faces. We all have everybody's around faces. And I'm not saying you should wear your feelings on your sleeve everywhere you go. Nobody likes to be around somebody like that unless it's somebody else who's worse off than you and being with you makes them feel better. <laughs> and it's usually not somebody who can get you out. It's usually somebody in the same hole. And I don't, I, there's, there's one thing about holeology. If you're, if you're in a hole, don't talk to somebody 
that's in the hole. Talk to somebody that's not in the hole that they can get you out of the hole. You know what I'm talking about? That's what we need to do. But, but this, this whole trouble reveals your level of faith. You can't camouflage it anymore. It's real. All the pretense and all the personality, all that's been stripped away, and you're just left with really who you are. Trouble reveals all that. Something else about disappointment. Disappointment literally fights your soul. It fights your soul. Kind of just use the analogy again. Like a, like a virus fights your body. Disappointment gets in your soul, making your heart sick, as the Proverbs writer said. Disappointment fights your soul, and it comes to take over and to die, like a virus does. It comes to literally dominate your body and your life. And if you can't fight it off, that's what will happen. If you can't fight off this heart sickness, that's what I, it'll come and it'll dominate. And the adversary comes and he tries to inflame everything. And he moves in strong when we're oftentimes at our most vulnerable. You got to know this is a real deal now. And when you're going through a season of disappointment, the thing you need most is peace. You hear me? You're asking why. But answers aren't the most important thing, I can assure you. Because there may be an answer that God would give it and you still wouldn't understand it. Because our perspective is not quite right. Because we got all this history, we got all this stuff, and, and we, we just have lack of knowledge about everything. And we certainly don't see the future. And we certainly can't see into eternity. And we certainly can't always see into the will and nature of God like we should and like we want to. We need peace. Not just understanding, but peace. And honey, you don't know how important peace is until you lose it. And you'll try to get it anywhere you can. And that's why people get on substances. And that's why they get in the wrong relationships. They're looking for peace. And as one old boy said, they're looking for love in all the wrong places. Well, they're looking for peace in all the wrong places. And you can go smoke your peace pipe. And you may get high for a minute. But you, you're going to come down after that's over. But there is a peace that comes from God who is the Prince of Peace. That can secure your soul. Anchor your soul. We need peace. But we want answers. She wanted an answer. Why? Did, did you come here to trouble me? And judge me? And I can hear her mind obsessing. And I, that's what happens in disappointment. Your mind obsesses. It obsesses over why. It steals your sleep. It keeps you awake. It provokes dreams in you. It provokes vengeance in you. It provokes striking back. It provokes all this blaming and all the stuff we just talked about. And your quest to understand why is this happening to me can overtake your life. And it'll steal your vitality. It'll steal all of your focus. It'll take away your purpose. It'll take away all of your peace. And joy was something that was yesterday. This disappointment thing's got to be dealt with now. And here's, here's the deal. Disappointment and peace, they war against each other in the soul. And they fight for the high ground in your soul. That's, that's why when you're going through something as a believer, you're, you're trying to be at peace. And that peace seems to be fighting or pushing back that disappointment. And one day you'll have a good moment and you'll have a good day. And then all of a sudden the flood of disappointment comes. And it's like these two are warring on the inside of a person. And who is going to take the high ground? Well, one day I got to be honest. This disappointment takes it one day and I, I just can't get over it. I'm so depressed and down and dark. And then another day it seems the peace comes and it fights back. And I have a better day and, you know, I can make a couple phone calls. And I made it to the grocery store today. It's a good day. You know what I'm talking about? Disappointment will drive you to unbelief. And the one thing you've got to fight most as a believer is unbelief. And you can't become a believing unbeliever. The church is full of them. People who say they believe God, but not really. Disappointment will drive you to unbelief. Peace will lead you to a stronger faith. I'm almost through with this idea of disappointment. Let's, let's see. Resist the temptation to accuse God. Can you say it with me? Resist the temptation to accuse God. I can promise you, I don't care what the situation is, God is not your problem. He is your solution. I promise you. And you remember Job. Remember Job. 
All the tragedy, Joe. I mean, we could take all the tragedy that's happened in this room and pile it on top of each other, and it wouldn't be half as much as what Job went through in just a short period of time. It was insane what he went through. You read that story, and you scratch your head, and you go, what in the world is going on? And the tendency for the reader in the book of Job is to blame God. But look what Job did. Job didn't blame God. It says this in Job 122. It says, in all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. Job said, I may not be very smart, but I'm smart enough to know he's not my problem. There's something going on I don't understand. I don't understand what's happening in my life. I don't know the whys. I do not understand, but I will not accuse God of doing wrong. That's a tough, that's a tough conversation because I've had times in my life where things have happened that made no sense and cost me dearly. Loss of relationships, people, death. You've had them. And in my moments, they're too holy to really talk about in public, but in my moments, I have, God, what are you doing? I'm trying to hang on here now. You know what I'm talking about? Think about one year when, when my best friend passed away. He was an everyday talking kind of friend. He was very influential in our church and was just one of the most godly men I've ever known. One of the wisest men I've ever known was, was a very humble guy. I think Jim was about 64 years old, working every day, having had a good career, all that stuff, had good family, good, good income, good retirement set up. Boom. He goes to the doctor one day, he's got some back pain. He's, he's got spinal cancer. Boom, goes to the doctor the next month. Boom, it's metastasized to your brain. You ain't got long to live. What? We anointed that boy with oil, prayed over him until he looked like a grease pig at the county fair. We prayed, believed God. He was believing God. And we just knew. I mean, this is going to be a great miracle because Jim's a great leader. And he's too young to go. You know what I'm talking about? Next thing I know, I'm in the room with hospice at his house, in his bedroom. He looks up at me. His wife's on the other side, and he says, let me go. God came to me and said, I am not going to make it. It's my time. Let me go. And to honor the wishes of my friend, I said, yes, sir. And I went outside to God and said, no, sir. This ain't right. Well, what's happening here? The world is a better place with Jim in it, I can promise you. You know what I'm talking about? Everybody's got a gym, right? I went through a whole period of time as the pastor. There wasn't no days, it was weeks and months where I was kind of upset with God. That may be too honest for you, I don't know, but I was sitting there, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to preach about you and help people follow you, and I'm upset with you. I know what that struggle's like, you know what I'm saying? And I had to come to a place where I said, it is well with my soul. It took a while, though. Anybody ever taken a while besides me? Depends on what it costs you, really. But this idea of not accusing God of wrong, this has got to become our default. Because accusing God will drive your peace away from you. Because, and it will drive you deeper into the problem. And if you're there, nobody's here to throw stones at you. I've been there. Repent. God's not the problem again. The only way you can move forward is in Him and with Him. And here's something you need to remember. Remember this as if it's the bedrock of your life. The Bible tells us this time and time again, that God is good. Everybody say that with me. God is good. And I want to tell you, He does everything right, whether it meets your criteria, whether it meets your approval, my approval, the church's approval, whoever my... God does everything right in His own time. Always. God is good. And remember this too. 
How, how do I know God is good? Well, Jesus is the proof. That's, he said, I came to show you this good God that you don't even know exists. You got all these rules and regulations and you got all these misconceptions about him. I come to show you who he really is. So he went about doing good and healing, showing all people what God really was like, that he is good and his mercy endures forever. Jesus is the proof that God is good. Another thing about disappointment, it will not just go away. You can stick your head under your pillow 50 times a day. You can bury your head in the proverbial sand. It will not go away, but instead it will collect in your soul and grow. And you may not bow out this time, but the next time something happens that's not good and it disappoints you, it'll accumulate, it'll build. And what will happen is your heart will begin to build a case against God that either he just doesn't like you or you're not in his favor. Or there's something wrong with the church teaching. There's something wrong with the Bible. Maybe I'm not reading it. What I'm saying, it'll, it'll build a case against God. And then sooner or later, something will hit your house. It'll hit your life that, boom, it'll be the breaking point. And we see people backslide and fall out with God Time and time again, because disappointment that happened way back when, sometimes it's in childhood, never got resolved. It's got to get resolved, and it's got to be worked out. It will not just go away. I don't care how much you ignore it. It will not go away. It'll roost. Peace is the only cure. The peace of God is the only cure for your disappointment. How do you get there? How, how do you get to peace? Let's, let's talk about that. Now, peace, peace comes when you receive your miracle. Hey, that's a good day. That's a great day when your miracle comes. Peace will come when the miracle comes, the reversal, whatever it might be, or peace will come when you're flooded by His presence. There's just something about His presence that comes with a flood of peace. Anybody ever experienced that idea where you're just singing or you're worshiping or you're in your car or you're knelt down beside your bed and, and, and it's invisible. You don't even know. It's something supernatural. And, and it's nothing you said, but it's something He did. And what He did was He, just, he brought His presence into your presence and it changed everything. And you still don't have any answers, but you have peace. Isaiah 26.3 says this. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Read, read that with me. That's good. You ought to memorize this one. You put this in your memory banks. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. This, this perfect peace. Well, don't we want more of that? I, I'm living in a level of peace, but perfect peace is a whole nother level. That's, that's God's kind of peace. He will keep us in this perfect peace, but there's something we've got to do. We've got to keep our mind focused on him. Now, that's a hard thing to do because when you're disappointed and you're going through a crisis, your mind always navigates to the crisis. It always navigates to the what ifs. It always navigates to the negative. You know what I'm talking about? And what you have to do is take your mind and purposefully, intently focus it upon the Lord. And some of our minds are shot out. You know what I'm saying? We've, we've taken in so much stuff and we've done so much crazy stuff and we've got so many misconceptions and, and, and ideas and wrong thoughts in us and lies that the enemy's told us that it's so hard for us to keep our mind because all that stuff keeps rattling around inside of me and i got this chaos that's not going on out there. This chaos is going on in here. And you've got to do whatever it takes to turn off all the voices and get your mind stayed on God. Get it fixed on Him. Whatever you've got to do. Let's get some more text. Elijah's going to show us what he does. We're going to learn some lessons from the prophet right here. He's going to show us the way to power and peace. All right? Listen to some text right here. And, and he says to this woman, okay, she's clucked off on him already. Okay? He, he says to her in, in a nice, gentle way, give me your son. So he took him out of her arms. And carried him to the upper room where he was staying. And he laid him on his bed. Let me just go, go through these things real quickly. The first thing Elijah does is he gets to a private place in order to meet with God. 
you've got to find that private place. Didn't Jesus talk about that, that kind of secret place or that kind of closet to go into? That when you pray, don't be like the heathen who just want to be seen and heard. When you pray, go into your room. And when you've shut the door, pray to your father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. That, that private secret place is important. Away from everyone, away from everything. Second thing Elijah does. It says he carried him to the upper room where he was staying and he laid him on his own bed. Second thing I see right here is to get to this place of power and peace is to carry it all to God and lay it out. Y'all know what it means to lay it out? Lay it out before him. Just lay it all. I mean, the good, the bad, the sin, the ugly, whatever it might be. Just lay it all out. Hey, hey I got to tell you something. Hey, he already knows about it anyway. You know what? The heart, when it's, when it's hurt, it tends to hide. It tends to, to shriek back. But you don't have to shriek back from the one who already knows everything and loves you anyway. You don't have to shriek back from him. Carry it all to God and lay it out before him. And this is where you remember that you're talking to the God who can do anything. You remember that now. The third thing, it says he cried out to the Lord. And he said, O Lord my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodged by killing her son? Well, Elijah has a moment. He, he brings it straight to God. The third thing I want you to do is to be open and honest with God. Raw is okay. I don't recommend you accuse him, but it's okay to be emotional, whatever that might be. Angry. David got that way in the Psalms several times. Elijah just started right where he was. He was confused about the situation. He was frustrated about this boy's death. And he shared his confusion and stress. He said, God, did you just kill this boy? Is there something you're doing I need to know about here? What's, what's really happening? Elijah's kind of, I hear him saying, this just, that doesn't seem right to me that this widow who is in distress already has now lost her son. What, what are you doing? You ever been in a situation where you don't want to blame God, but it just kind of feels like he let you down a little bit? Honest people feel that. Huh? So dump it all out. Be open. Be honest with God. Dump it all out. But wait a minute now. God will let you dump out all of your garbage. But he does not want you to just walk out of the room after you dump it. How would you like it? You no, know, we all have that friend. We all have that friend who calls us when they're in trouble and they just give it. They just vent. Boom, 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 boom. And then they take a deep breath and say, oh, well, I got to go now. I got to go fix, fix a kid a grilled cheese sandwich. Bye bye. And you just standing there holding the phone like, what, what just happened? Y'all know what I'm talking about? We all got that friend that just dumps. And they're still our friend. We just know how they are. Uh, and sometimes we just put the phone down and walk away and, get, uh, and they're still going. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's bad, man. It's terrible. <laughs> Dump it all out. Go ahead. Be real. Be as real as you need to be. But then wait on God to respond. That waiting may be moments. It might be days. I, I don't know. I, I, I've waited, but I, I do know this. That however long it is, if you wait to the right moment, you will be renewed with strength. I promise you. The fourth thing is, it says he, he stretched himself out on the child three times and he cried out to the Lord. There's a lot of emotion in this moment. You see what he's, this lifeless body of this young boy that he's gotten well acquainted with over the last few months, whatever it's long, maybe years. Laying on the bed. Do you see him stretching himself out? Do you see him knelt, knelt down beside the bed? The boy's just laying right there. Do you see him just stretched out? The boy's stretched out right here laying across. And he just lays right across the boy. And what does it say right there? He stretched himself out on the child three times. You ought to, you ought to do a study on how many times people pray three times. It's quite fascinating. Paul does it. Jesus does it. Pray three times. And he cried out to the Lord. I see, we all know about crying about our situation, but this is far different. It's not just crying. Crying's important. Again, it's, it's part of the emotional makeup God made us to release and vent. But he's, he's not talking about crying. Everybody could cry in the face of adversity, in the face of difficulty. Everybody could cry. But will there be somebody who knows how to cry out to the Lord? 
That's the difference. That's, that's a big difference because you can cry all day and not get the results you want. But when you cry out to the Lord, there's something about it that he hears the cry of his people. And learn to not just cry, learn to cry out. And it might just be, Jesus, help me. It might be just as simple as that. But learn to stretch out over your problems because the problem has now stretched your faith and you got to get in touch with him. I need your help. And three times. I wish it was always one and done. I like it like that. But sometimes three times can last for three weeks. It can last for three years. I don't know how long your three times will be. But pray as much as you need until the breakthrough comes. Whatever it takes. You hear what I'm talking about? And the last thing Elijah does. He says, oh Lord my God, I pray let this child's soul come back to him. The fifth thing Elijah does. He asks big, he believes big, and he leaves the result to God. You know, you're talking to the creator of the universe. Are you just going to ask him to heal your hangnail? That might be important in the moment, depending on how bad that joker is. But you're praying in the name of the one who has died for you. You're praying for the one who has promised he can do anything. You're praying for the, to the one that... that that has shown you that he can move mountains, that he can do everything. You're reading his story. He's got quite a resume. Ask big. It's important. And Elijah right here asks for the biggest thing that he knows how. God, resurrect this boy. That is an audacious prayer because we, we don't have any idea in Scripture that is given up to this point where this has ever happened in history. Not in, not in Scripture. Maybe it has, but it's not in Scripture that I know of. Anybody has ever had somebody raised from the dead. So Elijah prays so big that nobody has ever prayed like this before. It's according to him. He doesn't have any reference points, what I'm saying. There, there's no history of this. God, I'm just going to ask you to do something I've never seen or heard of before. Heal this boy. Resurrect his dead body. But you got to leave the results to God. That's hard. It's hard to keep believing and trusting but leave the results to God because I know what I'm asking. I know what I want. I, th I think I know what is needed in this situation. But you got to leave the results to Him because He always does the right thing. Don't try to bargain. Don't try to manipulate. You know, God, if you'll heal this boy, I'll, I'll be in church the rest of my life every day. You know, stuff doesn't last very long. But it happens. The Lord heard the voice of Elijah. I like the way it said, I like it. Did you just say God answered his prayer? It didn't just say that. It said God was over heaven. Elijah, is that you talking to me? He heard the voice of Elijah and God responded to the voice of Elijah. He didn't just respond to that dead body. He didn't respond to that crisis or that disappointment or that chaotic situation. He responded to the voice of his son. I want to ask you this. Are you giving any voice for God to respond to? Because if you're sitting there twiddling your thumbs and waiting, you're going to be waiting a mighty long time. I've learned that lesson the hard way. He responded to Elijah's voice. He'll respond to Paul's voice, Greg's voice, Jennifer's voice, Pat's voice, Janice's voice, Jerry's voice. He'll respond to your voice too. You hear me? And it says this, the miracle happens and the soul of the child came back to him and he revived. What a great day that was, huh? That mama heard something up in that upper room, I can guarantee you. She heard something. What's, hey, and it says the woman came down. Then, then the Lord heard the voice of Elijah and he came down. Then the woman said to Elijah, now here, here's another miracle. The miracle that happens with the boy is wonderful and great and powerful. But there's a second miracle that happens that's even better. It really is. The woman said to Elijah, now by this I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth. And it's true. Now, the one miracle is a great one, but it's temporary. The miracle that happens in her heart that produces faith 
is eternal. And that's important to remember now. And this woman comes to saving faith, believing the word of the Lord. There's two miracles in that story. <laughs> now let me, let me end with this. And I've got, I've got more I can talk about. i tell you what, this is a big, big subject. But I, I want to say stuff that helps you. It's a great story. I wish every situation turned out like this. But I've been pastoring a long time. I mean, it's going on 30 years now. Good Lord, have mercy. That's a long time, man. Help me, Jesus. I wish every situation turned like, just like this. I wish it just turned on the dime. Boom. And we, we always go into the situation with this stance. Lord, help. Lord, heal. Lord, reverse the situation. Lord, restore. Lord, resurrect. We always come at it with faith. But you know what? I've learned. My faith's taking some shots, too. I've had to, stay, I had to stand strong sometimes. But not everyone gets the miracle moment this side of heaven. You know that? I don't understand that. But everyone can experience the peace of God this side of heaven and beyond. So whether or not God gives you the power to change the situation and to reverse all that's going on, that'd be a great moment. We'll dance and we'll party and we'll have a great time, I promise you. Whether he gives you the power, that'll be up to him. That'll be between, I don't know, all the factors. I hope so. I want to see more of that in my life in ministry. But I will promise you this. If we'll do some of what the prophet did and do what Jesus taught us to do, we will experience the peace of God. And Paul talks about this peace of God. He says, it's a peace that don't make no sense. Now see, that's, that's, that's a Memphis way to say a peace that passes understanding. And see now, as long as you have to have understanding and you got to know it all, you disqualify yourself for this peace. Because we walk by faith and not by sight now. You understand what I'm talking about? It's a peace that goes beyond understanding. You, you, I hear God saying, if I could explain it to you, you still wouldn't get it. <laughs> you ever talk to somebody like that? <laughs> the peace of God. And beloved, we come right back. I don't, I don't know what the disappointment of your life has been accumulating or what's happened. Or maybe what's happening going to happen in the future. God help us. But I do know this. More than you need answers to your disappointment of the why. You need the peace of God to cover your soul. Amen.